This episode of Storylines is brought to you by 1844 Studios. 1844 Studios is a film production company in Edmonton, Alberta. It produces content in a variety of genres that tells us about the universality of human emotion despite diversity of human experience. For more information, visit 1844 Studios, that's 1844studios.com, and follow them on social. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television, Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode, we're making waves, but there's still some barriers to power and access that we're still facing as women and also as like minority groups in the industry. We're in conversation with documentary filmmaker Alexander Lazarovich. What I'm looking for when I'm trying to tell stories is things that haven't been told before and things that people maybe widely don't know. Alexandra started her career as a child actor, but then made the switch to producing and directing documentary films when she discovered the real change for what's shown on screen is made from behind the camera. I realized that like my family's experiences and my own personal experience wasn't being represented on screen. Alexandra produced a documentary short, Creek Code Talkers, it tells the story of the elite unit during the Second World War that was tasked with developing a coded system using the Cree language to disguise military intelligence for Allied forces. I'm Charles Checker Tompkins. I love my country and I, I've done everything they asked me to do. That's why I was in the Army. She directed the documentary short Fast Horse. The documentary follows the Siksika Nation Indian Relay Team as they make their debut at the Calgary Stampede. Fast Horse won numerous awards. It's screened at Sundance, and it's nominated for a Canadian Screen Award. Indian Relay was the first extreme sport. It consists of three horses and four people, three on the ground, one rider. She's also a founding member of Cousin, a collective that supports Indigenous artists through film. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You were a child actor. Can you take us back to how you got started in that? It seems like so long ago that I was a child actress because I think I started about when I was 10. And I actually got started because my aunt was an actress and was doing pretty well, I would say, in the industry. And we went and saw one of the films that she was in called Last of the Dogmen. They had a big premiere in Edmonton because there was a lot of indigenous actors who were involved in that project. And I was in the theater and I saw her on screen and I said, ooh, I kind of want to do that. And I started pursuing it pretty actively and I acted for years and years and sort of like local stuff. I think like I really loved acting and I think I still do love acting. And I think that being behind the camera and being in front of the camera sort of has the same sort of stakes, which is like you're always sort of gambling all of the time. So you do get like a certain kind of rush when you're making projects. But I think for me is that like 10, even like 15 years ago, is that the sort of media landscape wasn't that diverse. We're really fortunate that we get to see the diversity that's changing in real time. But I remember specifically 15 years ago that there was no diversity and no one actually really cared about diversity. And so a lot of the projects that I was going up for was like Native Woman number one or Native Woman number two. 
And so I think that's also part of why I sort of became a little bit disillusioned with the acting industry itself and why I moved to behind the camera because I realized that like my family's experiences and my own personal experience wasn't being represented on screen and was sort of like the starting point for wanting to get into the film industry and wanting to create stuff because I felt like I was trying to fill a gap. And now there's a huge change. It's been pretty radical to see like what has transformed and then also what the next 10 years is going to look like because I feel like we're making waves, but there's still some barriers to power and access that we're still facing as women and also as like minority groups in the industry. So when you made that switch to behind the camera from in front of the camera, how does that help get your stories shown on screen a little bit more? When you're an actress, you are sort of at the whims and wills of the people who are making the project. And that's usually the producer because the producer is the one who ultimately has power and money. But that's also the director and the creative team because they're making decisions. Unless you are a famous Hollywood actress, there are things that you are not allowed to ask for. You're not allowed to change There's a power dynamic in the hierarchy that exists if you're sort of a mid-level actress or if you're even lower than that. There are things that you can't demand to get changed. Realizing the limitations of your power unless you become super famous and super successful really quickly is that you're sort of always bending to the will of the people who are making the film. I think I realized that pretty early on. I was also working on projects where I thought, heck, like I could do this a hell of a lot better than these people. And not to say that I was working on, you know, terrible projects. It's just like there was a part of me that was like, oh, if if this is what is being greenlit, I could definitely make something like this and make it a little bit more authentic or make it a little bit, you know, more real. Obviously, it took years <laughs> to be able to like I've been in this industry If you really calculate my acting years for like 22 odd years, I still have trouble getting projects greenlit at this moment in time. And I would say I'm doing pretty decent as a filmmaker. But even then, there's still there's still many barriers to having doors open for you, because even though we're all talking about diversity, I still think that people are still a little afraid of betting money on it and hoping that there's going to be a return on it. And I think it's it's a long, drawn-out conversation about will these people who are uh, diverse go to the theaters and pay money to see films like the films that I want to make? That's a question up in the air for a lot of minority groups and actually, you know, women's stories too. And I think it's still a conversation that's happening in Hollywood and amongst our broadcasters in Canada. Some of the projects that you have done recently are documentaries that tell stories specifically from First Nation people here in Alberta, like Fast Horse and before that, the Cree Code Talker. What's the feedback that you've received from these projects? There's many levels of feedback. So I think within the film festival circuit, the feedback that we've gotten about Cree Code Talker, we did a really great festival run with Cree Code Talker audiences were surprised by that story. And I think often what I'm looking for when I'm trying to tell stories is things that haven't been told before and things that people maybe widely don't know. And then I try to think of a way to tell the story in a unique way that's specific to the individual story I'm telling. A lot of people look at my body of work and see how different all of my films are. And there was a really great quote by a filmmaker that I just read 
And he had sort of asked the same question is that like, why is every film different? Because some people choose to apply the same sort of technique and also have the same sort of style for all of the films that they make. And I think what I'm really trying to do is really trying to focus on what is the story I'm telling for that specific moment in time and for that specific person or persons who is in the film. With Cree Code Talker, we had some you know, historians who really love the film because they didn't know about this. I think we had lots of great feedback and the film still gets played at schools during Remembrance Day. I'm Charles Checker Tompkins. I love my country and I, I done everything they asked me to do. That's why I was in the Army. If it's a very specific niche for educational purposes, which is incredible because that's also sort of what you want is you want your film to be played a lot, but also that it sort of fits a moment in time. It's a very kind film, and we made that film with a lot of love, and I think that comes through in that film and the way that we sort of created it and worked with the people who were in the film. So it's had like a very good life. You know what I mean? Like if the best thing about making films is it's not really about awards, it's about audience. So who actually sees the film and how many people have seen the film and how have we changed people's minds maybe about how they think about indigenous people or how they think about indigenous veterans. And so I think with that specific film, we've had amazing connections with communities. With Fast Horse, this film is also very different than Cree Code Talker. And I think, you know, if you saw Cree Code Talker and you wouldn't think that I directed this film. And some of the response I've gotten from people is like, oh, I thought a guy directed it which is also very gendered, but also really interesting. Why do you get that reaction? I think maybe because it's a sports film and it's slightly aggressive in its editing, I would say. We really wanted to make a film that was fast-paced, that hooked people right away. I mean, I think a lot of my reference films were very like masculine films. Like we, we referenced Creed a lot. And I think the goal was to create a hero for this specific Indian relay. We knew that all along when we were going into it. And so it actually pays off when people maybe say like, oh, we thought a guy directed it because we really were going for something that had a very specific, unique look. We spent a lot of time trying to figure out what this film was going to look like and how it was going to feel. With the success we've had in the film festival circuit, I think people are res have responded really well to it. And I think we've played all over the world. We qualified for an Oscar. Like we did all of the things to sort of push it out into the world. And I think it's had a very long sort of lasting impact on people because a lot of people actually don't know what Indian Relay is. It was quite interesting for the people, the feedback that we've had from people who are like maybe not indigenous and are like, I've never heard of this and this is super cool. And I think that's really ultimately what we were going for. As you mentioned, it is a very impactful opening, but how does this create a different feel for what the stereotypes are of young indigenous men and how does it help for the self-esteem within the community? Personally, what I've really moved away from as an indigenous filmmaker and telling indigenous stories is that oftentimes there's this need to want to explain everything for many reasons, for, you know, reconciliation, for colonial reasons, because 
we want people to understand where we're coming from. And I think a lot of times we sort of get stuck in this trap of trying to explain everything to everybody. You know, I had a very specific moment in my filmmaking career where I thought, I actually don't want to do that anymore. And I want to make films that are just purposeful for that specific moment in time and not have to explain everything and not have to explain any history and not explain how we arrived here. And I wanted to do that because I felt like films like that weren't being made. And I wanted to see films like that. When you come from a community that has had a lot of barriers and a lot of tragedy and a lot of sort of, you know, historic trauma that's within your community, there is this need and want to talk about it all of the time. But as a person who grew up in that community, I was becoming very tired of it. And not because those stories are important or because I didn't want to hear it. But at some point, you become overwhelmed with the tragedy and the sadness. And it starts to permeate sort of within your soul. And I think I was even thinking, is that all I am good for is to be someone who is either dead or someone who was always talking about the tragedies in our communities and the trauma that was happening in our communities and still is to this day. But I really wanted to flip it and start making films that weren't about any of that and just wanted to sort of focus on like these things that are happening right now in this moment in time that are really cool that nobody knows about and that I felt that kids in our community weren't seeing. We really tried to approach this specific project about making it about the present and also the future. We do touch on cultural stuff, but you know, that's not the sole focus of the film. The sole focus of the film is Cody and this team that resonates with people in different ways because as like the circles move out of what the film is about. Yes, the film is about culture. Yes, the film is about community, but it is also focused on the this amazing team trying to accomplish a goal. I really wanted to make a film that gave hope to a whole generation of kids because I think for a lot of indigenous kids who grow up in a remote place, who often don't get out of their communities and who have dealt with a lot of this tragedy and trauma at a very young age, if the films that they were seeing were only about trauma and tragedy, I really wanted to create a film that gave them hope, that gave them something to look forward to, that they could be Cody, exactly, that their dreams could come true, that they could do really cool things. And so I think that's where sort of the original idea came from when we started putting this film together is that's the type of film we wanted to make. And that's the type of film we wanted to show. And that was the takeaway that we wanted people to feel as they left the theater. When you showed this film to Cody, the main character in the film, how meaningful is it for him since he has two kids himself? I actually I don't. No. And I think it's meaningful for him because of the things that he shared in the film. I think he recognized what were the stakes involved. And he said it too, like in the film, he said, you know, I do it, do it for my kids. So my kids can one day say, my dad did this. My daughter loves relay racing, you know, she'll get to look back on it in the future and be like, gee, my dad relay raced at Calgary Stampede when it very first started. Relay racing is a family tradition, you know? I say it's good to have your family by your side, you know? And I think he knows 
personally what the stakes are. And it's also tough to be a hero. I mean, I feel really uncomfortable speaking on behalf of communities and stuff like that. So I actually can't imagine what it would be like to be in a film (laughs) that represents Indian Relay. Lots of times when you're working in documentary, you want people to be a part of the film. And some people will say to you, I don't want to be a part of the film for many reasons. And it's also because of it can be because of the pressure. Like you just don't want to be the sole focus. And I think with Cody and Allison, they were so giving to us during this entire process. Like we were with them for a year. They were so kind and so open with what we were able to film. I think that comes through in the film from him and from them. Indian Relay was the first extreme sport. It consists of three horses and four people, three on the ground, one rider. You also can't make a document like a verite documentary film without your participants being giving because they have to give a lot. And I think they fundamentally understood what we were doing and they were just excited to be a part of something like this. And I think none of us knew that this film was going to sort of blow up the way that it did. Our main role here as documentary filmmakers is to create impact and also to cause change within society. We see that with some big documentary films, you know, Icarus, it took down the Russian doping scandal. With the films that you create that focus on indigenous culture and identity, how does that help bring your identity to a bigger world? I think in Canada, there's a a different attitude toward indigenous stories and indigenous people. And I think that's because we're around and you see us and we're actually more visible in Canada than we are in the United States. And I think in the United States, there's a slightly different perception of what being Native American or indigenous actually is and means. And I think they haven't sort of had their moment of understanding what Native American rights are, uh, what Native American communities look like. And that's often because the Native American communities are so segregated and kept so far away from the actual cities and the towns. But you sort of become an other, which is much different in Canada, because in Canada, part of the non-Indigenous community, I think, has an exhaustion with the residential school stories and with reconciliation stories, that exhaustion then becomes anger and then becomes, can become hate in some ways because they're like, oh yeah, I've heard the story. I know all about, you know, the guy who's on the street and homeless. It's because you went to residential school and like, I don't need to hear any more about this. I've already watched one documentary on it and I know everything about this. And in Canada, it's a very different attitude than the United States because the United States has not gone through, has not even made attempts to go through a reconciliation process or even acknowledge or change any of their history because they're in, they're actually in such crisis mode right now that I don't know actually when they will ever get to it. The Canadian audience has been very different to the film than the American audience because a lot of the time the American audience is like, oh, I didn't even know these people existed, which is funny, but also not funny because it also explains sort of their narrow point of view. So it's been really interesting to see the two variations of responses from people. And you can also just tell from like the comments on our Vimeo link or the comments on our Facebook page, which is like some people are like, wow, never heard of this. 
there's just like so much I didn't know stuff uh, that comes up. And I think that with Fast Taurus is we're giving insight into a community. And I also think we're also showing what modern tradition looks like. And I'm excited to be a part of that. And I think with Fast Taurus and Indian Relays, we really wanted to tell a present story that this is sort of existing today, right now. You can go see it. And I think that's really what we wanted to do. The whole idea is like I want to make films that are positive and that are reflective of an experience that's not about stereotypes and racism. And so I think it helps that portion of of why I choose to make films. And when I make films, what am I actually trying to do and what message am I sending? Even though you're originally from Alberta, but you're not based here anymore, but you come back here and do a lot of your work here. How does what you learned by being in New York translate on the screen when you come back and tell these stories here? So I grew up in Alberta and I was going to school in Edmonton and I started my career here both as an actress and then also as a film producer. And I think there was just a moment of I left because I knew I needed to be better at my job, but I didn't exactly know how that looked. And so I left to pursue knowing that I was sort of at the end of what I could learn here. And I moved away with the intention of being a stronger filmmaker. That was really the entire goal. And to try something new, essentially. The big difference is is that in places that are larger spaces, whether that's New York City, whether that's LA, whether that's London, whether that's Berlin, is that a lot of the people who make films end up going to those places. And so you're surrounded by people who like the same things that you do. Being in a bigger place allows sort of all of those like weird film nerds to exist in their own community. And when you're a part of that community, you start learning from them, whether that's like talking or hanging out with them or going to these things where you can watch films where it's literally like 30 colors transitioning on screen with no sound. But you're learning about a very specific film technique that helped formulate, I think, a little bit more of my film education because I didn't go to school for film. All Everything I knew was sort of self-taught and through mentorships more than it was through like an education. And I really think that, you know, being in a bigger city where people really love film and created a community that I then became a part of really helped open my eyes to new ways of making film or different styles of making films. And then being able to pull from those things that I liked or didn't like and be like, I'm going to do this in my next project. Even even though you left, you still come back and give your films back to the community. How do your films give back to the community here? I think I have an affinity for Alberta because I grew up here. And I also recognize not only as an indigenous person, but even just person being from Alberta, is that we weren't represented in the landscape of filmmaking either. Like Alberta stories were very hard to come by even five years ago, eight years ago. We have Heartland, great, but like there were so many other things that I love about my home that I knew had to be told here. As my career sort of moves on, I also think that I'm a really lucky person. I got lucky with a lot of stuff. I had a lot of really amazing mentors. I had people who supported me through this sort of filmmaking journey because it's risky. Like doing this is risky. You have to put a lot on the line and things have kind of worked out and 
to me, what I was always taught is that when that happens to you is that you have to give back. If you're lucky enough to be successful in this industry, you have to be willing to give back. And however that works for people, for themselves, is up to them. But for me, what that personally means is that I come back to Alberta a lot. I mentor people. I basically offer the same things that were offered to me. There's ways of using your privilege to bring new people into the circle of filmmaking. And that's what we did with the um, National Film Board film Lake is like I really pushed for an all indigenous female crew because to me, we're having a difficult time. Just women, too, as a part of that. Like we're having a difficult time having female DPs. We're having a difficult time sourcing female sound recordists. And so how can you give people experience and how can you invite them into the fold and give them a living wage to do the job that they're good at and how can they learn and be a part of a team? And it takes extra work. It's not easy, but also that's the responsibility that I have to my community. That's the responsibility that I have to the industry itself because I'm not going to be here forever, but hopefully the people that gave me a helping hand can look back and say like I helped Alex and then I can say I helped these people and gave them a helping hand and and the 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 sort of the community keeps growing and we keep inviting new people into it because I didn't get here by myself. You know, filmmaking is a team effort. It is not a singular thing. And you want people around you who are going to bring their talents to your film and be surrounded by people that you're constantly learning from. You're part of a collective called The Cousin Collective. What is it exactly? I was chatting with a couple of my friends who are also filmmakers. Adam Pyron, he's a programmer for Sundance and also a filmmaker. Sky Hopinka, who's an experimental film artist. And then Adam Khalil, who's also an experimental filmmaker and artist. We were just talking about we're all doing pretty well right now. And that's all relative, you know, obviously we're not Oprah Winfrey, but we're doing enough where we have work coming to us and where people are asking us to pitch to them instead of the reverse. And so we were just discussing about how incredible it was that we had gotten this far in our careers, but we were also discussing how we could help other people and what we felt was lacking when we were sort of coming up in the industry. We basically saw a need for a fund that was strictly for indigenous filmmakers who make experimental works because there is no fund that does that. What all of us are trying to do is trying to not create stereotypes about our people and open up new pathways of thinking and making art that is about indigeneity, but that is unique and different and experimental and may or you know may not get the green light from some of the funding agencies that are looking for very specific things. We were like, yeah, it'd be pretty awesome if we could create a, a fund. And we were sort of laughing. We were like, well, what would we call it? And we call each other cousin all the time whenever we see each other, which is sort of like an inside native joke is that everyone is your cousin. And so they're like, yeah, we'd call it the cousin collective. And we we're like, ha ha, that sounds funny. And a couple months later, we we're like, yeah, why don't we do it and see if we can get it off the ground is what we've been able to do in a year is actually create a fund. It also is reflective of the industry seeing that this was missing and we're willing to fund us 
because they knew that this was also an important part of like moving everything forward. When I'm not around anymore, hopefully Cousin Collective will still be funding indigenous filmmakers and maybe it will change in scope. But that's the hope is that we're creating a legacy that exists and allows us to move forward. So instead of being the token you know, indigenous film at Rotterdam, there will be a lot of indigenous films at Rotterdam Film Festival. So that's that's our hope. Right now you're doing a bit of a, you're in development, but it's a bit of an ambitious project and a bit of a pivot from what you're normally doing. Tell us about what you're working on right now. Yes, complete pivot. Um, I'm working on an indigenous romantic comedy that is obviously a narrative. For 10 years have been telling my friends to write an indigenous romantic comedy. And I said, please write it because if you write it, I'll help produce it and I'll help get it off the ground. And I, I, I don't even know how many people I've said this to. And finally, no one had done it. No one had made an indigenous romantic comedy. And I thought, this is one of those things that I'm going to have to do myself. And so I wrote this indigenous romantic comedy that is based off of my mom and dad's relationship because my dad is Ukrainian and my mom is native. And it's about sort of their first meetings and my dad having to go experience her family, which is, you know, my crazy family on the reserve and it's fish out of water type of stuff. I think what I was craving is as an indigenous woman, I've never seen a native woman fall in love with anyone on screen or actually even get married or be proposed to or have any romantic intimacy on screen ever in my entire life. I expected it to be done by somebody and that I would see it already by now and it hasn't happened and it goes back to this also again a conversation about diversity is that I want that and I want to see that and I want to pay money for that and I know if I want to pay money for that I know that there have got to be like a couple hundred thousand other people who want to see that and it's actually kind of sad when you think about it that most indigenous women who are represented in Hollywood on on screen are murdered and or or they're used as dead body props and that's disturbing to me because what is that saying to a 10 year old girl who's growing up that the only value you have is is as a dead person and so I really wanted to make a film that was representative of a my family's experience but also that showed that you can be indigenous you can be successful you can have love in your life and you can have your family in your life that you don't have to run away from them and that you get the rainbow at the end of the story. People say to me all the time, you know, how much money does this cost? And I and I say, well, how much money do you think it's worth? And they're like, well, what kind of film do you want to make? And I was like, well, I want to make a big Hollywood romantic comedy. I want like a crazy rich Asians, but for indigenous people. And like, why not? And that's the whole goal. And I haven't seen that yet. And like, I want to be a part of that yeah, we're working on it and it's terrifying and it's going to be it's going to be a long game, but we're excited. I'm Alex Lazarovich and these are my three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, don't be a dick. Just be nice to people. Number two, apply to everything and keep writing because you're going to have to write for the rest of your life. Number three, Invest in some really good boots because you don't know where filmmaking is going to take you. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to Episode 9 of Storylines. 
Storylines is a women in film and television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Thanks so much to Fava for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Alexandra Lazarovich. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Eva Carvinen, Samantha Quantz, and Teresa Winnick. Shannon Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original storyline's theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rabode. I'm your host, senior producer, and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. Make sure you tune in every week to catch the latest Storylines episode where you can hear interviews and get tips from leading women in film and television. You can check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead. Mm-hmm.